I'm Rachel Grimm, and welcome to the podcast with all your mind. I'm here to help us understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, guys. This is Rachel, and this is with all your mind with our new music, which I love. I can't help but move when I hear that music. I end up like bobbing my head back and forth. But yeah, season two. I was really hoping that we'd be able to do a season two. I just wasn't sure if it was in the cards with whatever I would be doing this fall and whatever God wanted me to be doing. But here we are. He has given me an outline for the whole season. So we have lots of stuff to talk about. Probably too much stuff to talk about. Um, So I'm going to try and move slowly so that we can actually really understand what we're going to be talking about. So to start us off, here's the theme for the season. Season one's theme was names and titles, and we just got through a lot of terminology in the Bible, right? Little words here and there that had big meaning, but maybe not meaning that we had thoroughly thought through, like covenant and gospel and Jehovah or Yahweh, Lord, and all those different kinds of names and titles and words with lots of meaning that we can sometimes throw around but not think too much about. This season, we're kind of doing something completely different. The nature and history of the Bible, okay? That might sound a little intimidating or confusing, but I couldn't think of a different way to say it because we're going to just be talking about so many different things about the Bible. So nature, history, character of the Bible, how it's made, why we trust it, what it physically looked like through the centuries, who could have one, who could afford one, what languages was it in, when was the first time that we had an English Bible. Spoiler alert, King James Bible was not the first English Bible. Who was involved in Bible translation and how is that all done? So we're just going to be talking about the Bible as this unit even though we're going to start off talking about how it wasn't one unit in the beginning. Before we get into that, how was your summer? I hope your summer was good. My summer was uh, interesting. I had some weird health problems that put a damper on the whole thing, but we finally got it figured out, uh, doing much better now, and uh, my garden turned out pretty good. My trees are still alive. Um... I ate my own zucchini, cucumber, basil, mint. Um, I got three uh, apple trees. And (laughs) when I first got one, um, my elderly neighbors came over (laughs) while I was inside and hung decorative apples on them. And now they tease me every time about when I'm going to make them an apple tree or (laughs) make them an apple pie. (laughs) So neighborly, uh, I don't know what you call that, but it's been fun. I've been outside a lot more in the mornings when other neighbors are outside, um, talking to all of my elderly neighbors about their gardens and how they grow them. I've made a lot of friends in my neighborhood with asking questions about gardening. One neighbor, George, is going to help me prune my fruit trees, and another neighbor tells me what is or is not growing in his garden so that I know not to feel bad if my stuff isn't growing. So yeah, it was a good summer. We went to the pool a lot, and for a lot means three t- three times. <laughs> yeah, I have little kids, can you tell? So yeah, 
summer is over, we're moving into the fall, and yeah, we're going to be talking about the Bible. All of this stuff to talk about the Bible is to make the history of the Bible and how the Bible was made more tangible and real and to understand just the story of it so that you know what is this book that we have, how did it come about, and what was man's involvement in it and what was God's involvement in it. Because God partners with people, right? He doesn't just do everything miraculously. And if you think that, that's a, um, it's a certain view of reality where you can see everything as miraculous and as the intervention of God in every instance. That's just a, one perspective of it. And another perspective is to see it as, you know, kind of like free will versus, um, what is it called? Preordination. What's that word? You know what I'm talking about. There's two ends of the spectrum to see how God interacts with, with history and humans and the world. And so sometimes people tend to one end of the spectrum or the other. Some people think of everything as miraculous. Other people see it as kind of God stands off and waits to watch what we do and then intervenes or gives suggestions or corrects if necessary. So we're going to try and take a balanced approach to looking at the Bible and seeing it as God's divine word and how people were involved in that process. Okay? Um, So we want to put some hard facts to the information that we already know, and that just makes the Bible even more remarkable, right? To add in the human side to how we have the Bible doesn't make it less divine, It doesn't make it less interesting. It doesn't make it less important. So those are some important things to keep in mind that when we're talking about how the Bible was formed and how it came about and people's interaction with it, we're not making it less divine, right? So to talk about the Bible, we first need to talk about Christianity because the Bible is the holy book of Christians around the world But when you talk about Christian, you're not just talking about evangelical Protestant Christianity. You're talking about a whole world outside of that. So I have some facts here, some numbers for you, and we're going to talk about what is Christianity as a whole. Okay? There are about two and a half billion Christians in the world. And of course, that's an estimate. Duh. (laughs) We're not going to know that by talking to all two and a half billion people. But there are many different sects of Christianity or different branches of Christianity. And some will have nothing to do with the other. And some will have good relationships with each other. But the biggest branch of Christianity is the Catholic Church. Catholic, by the way, just means universal. So the Catholic Church, if we talk about the Catholic and Apostolic Church, that word originally meant universal. So that is the biggest branch. Now, if you want to talk about within one hierarchy, such as the Catholic Church is all under the Pope, the Catholic Church is the biggest form of Christianity in the world. I would have thought that Protestant Christianity is the next biggest branch in the world. But Protestant Christianity is not under one big set of leadership, not one big hierarchy. There's lots of different forms of Protestantism. There's 
Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists and Pentecostals and all these different things, they're under their own leadership. So they kind of have to count as their own branch of Christianity, even though they have similar beliefs. But they're not under the same set of leadership. The Orthodox churches, such as Eastern Orthodox, that is Russian and Greek and a couple of others, they are the next biggest sect or branch of Christianity because they're they're under the same leadership. I never thought about it this way. So leadership, hierarchy, set of government, however you want to think of it. Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Christianity is the next biggest branch of Christianity. After that comes Protestant Christianity. And that has its, you know, various denominations. A couple more denominations of Protestants, Advent, um, Anabaptists, Calvinists, and then there's some more minor ones that I'm very familiar with, but are so small that they're not listed on the major branches of Protestantism. Quakers, Mennonite, Amish. So then we mentioned Eastern Orthodox. It's much more mm, global than I thought it was. There are 1,200 Eastern Orthodox churches in America alone, right? And there's a lot of Eastern Orthodox churches in Europe and Russia. And then we have Oriental Orthodox. This is probably the branch of Christianity that people know the least about because it's very uh, nationalistic. It is within certain countries. So places like Ethiopia have Ethiopian Orthodoxy or Armenian Orthodoxy. Not as well known unless you live in Northern Africa or the Middle East. And even there, you may not know them if you're not involved in Orthodoxy. I don't know how much Protestant Christians know about the Orthodox churches in the Middle East when they live in the Middle East. They're just separate branches, separate histories, uh, different belief systems. And so all of these groups, Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, and Oriental Orthodox, they all have the Bible, but the Bible is in different languages, and not everyone has the same canon or set of books. They have different traditions, they have different hierarchy, different historical figures and saints, people that they look up to as being pioneers and defenders of their faith but they're all Christians. Now, if anybody feels riled up about that, here's how we're going to look at this, okay? We all, every branch of Christianity, have some beliefs that are wrong. So we're going to assume that there are those in each tradition that are true believers and those that aren't, and we're not going to try and find out who, (laughs) okay? I have brothers and sisters that are Catholics. I have brothers and sisters that are Orthodox. And I have brothers and sisters that are Protestant. And I'm going to not think too hard about it because I don't want to get divisive about something that Jesus wouldn't get divisive about. And that's how I'm going to think about it. So when we talk about things within certain traditions, we're going to talk about the canon of different traditions, such as Orthodox and Catholic and Protestants. I'm not going to make judgment calls about whether X, Y, and Z should be in the canon. I'll talk about the historical accuracy of different books, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not going to say that should totally not be in there. 
um, just so that we, we don't have to get in fights about this, okay? So when we talk about it all, what I want us to think about is that we can be encouraged that we have brothers and sisters in every country, in every tradition, and in many languages, okay? So we're going to talk about the Bible, obviously. How many times do I have to say that? Obviously, we're going to talk about the Bible. And the point is to know more facts, concrete facts about this book that we have that's divinely inspired, but physically written by humans, by men and women. And we, why, why, why do we need to care about the history of the Bible, about what kind of languages it's in, about how it was formed, about who the actual authors of each book are? Why should we care? Well, number one, it's always good to know about your own religion. Um, if you can't talk about your own religion, then uh, do you really care about it? <laughs> it's good to know how to talk about your own religion and not just fam faith-based sources, ones that provide encouragement and insight, but also academically-minded ones so that we avoid um, problematic thinking and logical fallacies and saying things that don't make sense but make us feel good, okay? That's what we're trying to avoid. We need to also be able to talk about it intelligently with others. If we just say that we believe that what Jesus said because he said it, yeah, you have to boil everything down to faith eventually, yes, but we should also know a few facts about why we believe in Jesus so that when people confront us with things, which seem to cast doubt on Christianity, we need to know how to think about those things. We need to know how to defend our faith, even if it's just to ourselves. That way you can deal with doubts when they come and not feel like you're brainwashing yourself. You don't need to brainwash yourself. A fun fact about me, I'm a very um, skeptical person. I need a lot of reassurance for my brain. My brain likes to doubt things a lot. And so I need to have constant fuel to kill doubts in my brain. So if you're that kind of person, this is a really good series to listen to because we're going to throw lots of facts at you to deal with doubts. Now, I'm going to have to jump over a lot of information that I read and learned because it'll bore the heck out of everybody if I try and include it all. If there's ever anything that I talk about and you're like, oh, I need to know more about that let me know because I probably have way more information than I'm including here. Okay, what else? Why else do we need to know about the Bible and the history of the Bible? Well, I think there's a lot of fear that comes from modern thinking, modern philosophy, and modern science that we feel like we either need to ignore those things, ignore modern science, ignore modern philosophy, or kind of draft it into the Christian faith and use it for our own benefit. I don't think either of those are the answer. I think we just need to know the facts and know how God handles the facts. And then we don't need to be afraid of God in his hierarchy being toppled by science, facts, or secular history. I hope that makes sense. I don't know how to say it another day, so I'm not going to try. Oh, Okay, no, I know one other way to say it. We need to not be afraid to know the history of the Bible and its human participants. Sometimes people portray things in the Bible 
all in a golden light, like everybody was great. And don't say anything bad about anybody in the Bible or how anything was done by any Christian ever, because then that reflects poorly on God. No, no, we need to know the truth. We need to know real history and how people actually acted throughout history so that we're not blindsided by surprising facts like the Spanish Inquisition or the Crusader history or even how the Roman Catholic Church, which was, you know, directly tied to the Roman Empire, how it used its power to promote Christianity for political gain, blah, blah, blah. So these things happened. Yeah, but we don't need to be surprised by them or try to whitewash it all so that we don't look bad. We're not those people. We don't have to be those people. and We don't have to do those things or do things that way. So we want to be able to distinguish ourselves from our Christian history, but also recognize that it is a part of our Christian history. That there is no part of Christian history that's perfect. There's no part that is exactly how we would want it to be told. Like all through Christian history, there's heroes of the faith and whatnot and how, okay, Martin Luther, great, you know, guy of the Reformation, bringing faith back into the Catholic Church, but he was also anti-Semitic. Now what do you do with him? Do you throw him out or do you still care about him because he did other good things? Can we just not put him on a pedestal and still appreciate the good things that he did? and condemn the bad things that he did without condemning the man? I don't know. Can we do that? I don't know. Because you have to do that with a lot of different figures and a lot of different problems. Constantine, he was the guy that adopted Christianity and officially protected it within the Roman Empire. Do we consider him a hero? Or do we say, no, he was horrible because he used it for political gain And he actually didn't even get baptized until his deathbed. It was probably partly because he didn't care that much or didn't understand Christianity enough. But he also introduced a lot of compromise into the church and a lot of power struggle so that people actually wanted to be bishops for the first time for power and not for service. Hmm. (laughs) So we're going to get we're going to get into a lot of that stuff, but not so. Okay. So I'm reading a Christian history book right now. Okay, so this is where a lot of the Christian history stuff is coming from. Um, But we're going to talk more about the Bible and the formation of the Bible. But we're not going to shy away from anything that gives a negative light to anything. We're still also going to recognize the divine inspiration of the Bible and not take God out of the process anywhere. So with all that said, we're going to talk about the Bible and the way that the Bible is broken apart and what languages are used, uh, blah, 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 all that stuff. We're going to recap that because we need to start off with what's in the Bible, what's there, okay? So structure of the Bible, right? The structure of the Bible. If you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever looked through the table of contents of the Bible, that you know there's two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the Jewish Bible. That is their entire Bible, Genesis through Malachi. And the New Testament, 
is exclusively Christian. It is not a part of the Jewish canon at all. A testament is a contract or a covenant. And we talked about that in season one, where the Old Testament is the old covenant, the old contract that God had with the people of Israel. And the new covenant is the new covenant through Jesus' blood. And we have a whole episode about that. The type of books that are involved in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we have the first five books, which are called the Pentateuch, or the Law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they're the the books that tell us about the structure of the Jewish religion, which is the structure of the Christian religion before Jesus. After that comes historical books, prophetic books, and then just what they call the writings. The writings can be books like Lamentations, Song of Solomon, kind of books you don't really know what to do with, and they're just kind of like, they're not prophecy, they're not history, they're writings. So there's three main categories in the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, those kinds of books. In Hebrew, when you talk about the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible, we can call it the Tanakh. And that is an acronym, T N, and then <laughs> that sound. That is for the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the writings. So if you ever hear Tanakh, that is just the Old Testament. And it's probably being referred to that way because of its Jewish roots, or it's being referred to that way by a Jew. Okay, and then in the New Testament, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Epistles, which are all the letters written by mostly Paul, but then a few by James, John, Peter, and a mystery writer for Hebrews. And then we have also a Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic. <laughs> I say it wrong, and if I try and say it fast, I'll say it wrong every time. Apocalyptic literature. Now, when you talk about apocalyptic literature, it's actually a really common genre in the ancient Near East. Today, we don't make apoc- see there we go apocalyptic literature too much, except if you want to think about it being media, media being you know writing, news, TV movies, radio, that's media. We don't make much apocalyptic literature anymore, but we sure do love apocalyptic TV and movies. I think there's a lot of movies like disaster movies and end of the world movies. That's apocalyptic movies. So we still have that genre. In the ancient Near East, apocalyptic literature was a common genre. They like to talk about the end of the world and things that would be revealed at the end of times or when the gods came back or when the gods revealed themselves, kind of the secret things of the future, you know? So that is a genre all on its own. Revelation is part of that genre. And the ancient Near East was not unfamiliar with uh, apocalyptic literature. I just can't say it fast at all. Okay, so when was the Old Testament written? 
It was written between about, and you know, we have to guess, we don't have accurate records for any of this, mostly because this is what is considered almost prehistory before writing was much of anything. Uh, it was written between 1400 and 400 BC. So between 1400 and 400 BC. That's when the Old Testament was written. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. It was written by all Jewish authors. Some books we know the authors, or at least who had most of the content, or who narrated it. But some books we're not entirely sure. Like a lot of the books have the name of a man, right? Job, Nehemiah, Esther. Who wrote Esther? Do we know who wrote Esther? I don't think we do. But we have Esther's name on it because it's about Esther. But a lot of the books, we assume that the prophet who is involved in it wrote it, or some scribe who was associated with that prophet or lived in his time period. So we don't always know the author, and we'll talk about that more in a later episode, but it's not terribly, terribly important who wrote each book. For some books, it is a little bit, but it's not always important. Uh, the New Testament was written between 30 and 150 AD, and it was written in a form of Greek called Koine Greek. Today, modern Greece speaks modern Greek, and that is just a development of Greek, the same as English developed. We had Old English, Middle English, and then Modern English. Languages develop because we have to new, come up with new vocabulary for different inventions or different processes or different experiences, but it also develops because slang becomes standard vocabulary and then standard vocabulary goes out of fashion or becomes archaic or obsolete. We don't need it anymore. Like the term rotary phone. The word rotary we barely use that anymore because we used it particularly for rotary phone and a few other things. And I'm sure there's some specialized usages for that word in like engineering or something. But in terms of rotary, we don't use that word very much anymore because we don't think that way anymore. We don't have that thing anymore. So language changes as usage changes. So Koine Greek was kind of the national dialect of Greek as Alexander the Great spread it across the ancient Near East and on as far as India. So that was just the form of Greek that was in the area of Palestine or Israel at the time of Jesus, and that is what the New Testament was written in. Much of the New Testament is written by the apostles and by Paul. There's different stories about who may have written one book or the other, um, different theories about who wrote Hebrews, and that's based on different things like, okay, the, um, we found ancient manuscripts, and it was a collection of all of Paul's epistles, and Hebrews was included in that collection. So according to that, it makes sense to think that Paul wrote Hebrews. But the terminology used in Hebrews and the style of writing is really different from the rest of Paul's epistles. So that makes us think that no, Paul didn't write it. Is it terribly important who wrote Hebrews? Uh, well, I'd like to know. <laughs> I'm curious, but it doesn't change the fact that it's canon for me and it doesn't change how important the book is. 
I kind of hope that it's by a really obscure person so that when we get to heaven, we find out, oh, you wrote Hebrews? That's cool. Who are you? <laughs> I like mystery. So I hope, I hope that's a mystery. I hope it's not Paul, just so that there's another writer of the Bible that we don't know. So the Old and New Testaments were written by very different people in very different time periods. The Old Testament was written over a thousand years, and the New Testament is only written over a hundred years. The Old Testament is written exclusively by Jewish authors. The New Testament is written by various authors, Jew and Gentile. So the Old and New Testaments have different flavors to them. They have different cultures behind them, and they were written to different audiences. The Old Testament was written exclusively to Jewish audiences. It wasn't written for Gentile audiences. There's small parts, especially the parts that were written in Aramaic, such as in Daniel and Ezra, that were written to foreign kings, but they're very small sections. And by and large, the Old Testament was written to a Jewish audience who would understand Jewish idiom, Jewish terminology, and just all the different nuances that are in a language. So we'll talk about all of that stuff, and we'll also talk about how different cultures treated the Bible and ongoing issues with talking about the Bible. All right, so there's so much that we're going to talk about with this season. To talk about the history of the Bible is to talk about the history of Christianity and how Christians have interacted with the Bible and how they have treated it. So there's just a ton of stuff to talk about. I've been planning this for months, so I think I've gotten it reasonably well organized that we're not going to jump into this swamp of information and struggle to stay alive. So don't worry about it. Come along with me and let's learn about the Bible and basically our history as Christians. All right. So the next episode, we're going to talk more about the languages used in the Bible and the historical context for the world of the Bible. So I hope I'll see you next time and you guys have a great day. Bye. Bye.